Section two of Edward the Black Prince by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter two. Beginning of the French War. The years from thirteen thirty six to thirteen thirty eight had been spent by Edward the Third in preparations for war. He had been endeavouring to gain allies amongst the princes on the continent, his idea being to unite against France the rulers of the small principalities that lay on its north, such as Brabant, Gilders, Eno, and Nemur. He also succeeded in gaining the alliance of the Emperor Louis of Bavaria, but his most important ally was Jacques van Artevelde, the man who then ruled Flanders with the title of Rouvert. The condition of Flanders at that time was very strange. Since 877, Flanders had been ruled by a long succession of counts who had done homage to the kings of France for their county. The peculiar circumstances of the country, its mighty rivers, whose wide mouths afforded safe harbours for the ships, combined with the industry of the people, had early made Flanders important as a commercial and trading country. During the absence of the counts on the Crusades, the towns had won for themselves many important privileges and were really free communes, owning little more than a nominal allegiance to their duke. The kings of France eyed this wealthy and thriving province with great jealousy and eagerly watched for an opportunity of asserting their authority over it. But till 1322, the people and their counts had been firmly united in resistance to France. Only with the accession of Count Louis de Nevers did the aspect of affairs change. This count had been brought up in France and was imbued with French interests. He objected to the power and independence of the Flemish towns and sought to oppress them in every way. He governed by French ministers and called in French help against his own subjects. Then, when the people were oppressed, their industries ruined, their commerce at a standstill by the tyranny of their count, they found the leader in Jacques van Artevelde, who showed them the way to liberty and prosperity. Against the firm union formed by the towns, the Count of Flanders was powerless and fled to the court of France. Under Artevelde's care, commerce and manufactures flourished, peace and prosperity reigned in the land, whilst there was no question of actual revolt from the authority of the count. Artevelde only wished to show that the liberties of the people must be respected. Flanders was the great commercial centre of the Middle Ages, where merchants from far distant countries met and exchanged their goods. Artevelde conceived the great idea, in which he was far beyond the intelligence of his time, of establishing free trade and neutrality as far as commerce was concerned. He was an important ally for Edward III for many reasons. It was necessary for the interests of both peoples that Flanders and England should be friends, for in Flanders England found a sale for her wool, then the great source of her national wealth. From England alone could Flanders obtain this precious wool, which he manufactured into the famous Flemish cloth and sent to all parts of the world. Edward III recognized the wisdom and greatness of Artevelde and conceived a strong alliance with him for the benefit of both parties. On all occasions, the English king treated the simple burgher of Ghent as an equal and a friend. 
it is not impossible that he gained in his intercourse with Artevelde that feeling of the importance of commerce and industry which exercised so great an influence upon his legislation and gained for him the title of the father of english commerce it was on the sixteenth of july thirteen thirty eight that edward the third sailed for flanders his first object was to meet his allies the various princes of the netherlands he did not find them very eager for active cooperation in his undertaking he determined to visit the emperor in person so as to prevail upon him to take an active part in the war with this view he travelled up the rhine stopping first at Köln, then a thriving commercial city enjoying active intercourse with england here edward stayed some days in the house of a wealthy burgher the time passed in merriment and festivities the king receiving visits from all the chief citizens he visited most of the churches and made offerings at the various altars to the building fund of the great cathedral he gave sixty-seven pounds a sum equal to a thousand pounds of our money from Kuhn he proceeded up the rhine his whole way being marked by continual festivities at bunn he stopped with one of the canons of the cathedral at andernach with the franciscans and finally on the thirty-first of august he reached koblenz where the german diet was assembled the emperor received him in state in the market-place seated on a throne twelve feet high and by his side though a little lower was a seat for edward around them stood a brilliant assembly four of the electors were there and wore the insignia of their rank one of the nobles as representative of the duke of brabant held a naked sword high over the emperor's head seventeen thousand knights and gentlemen are said to have been present in the presence of this imposing gathering edward the third was created vicar of the empire for the west bank of the rhine in spite of this journey he obtained nothing from the emperor but this empty title on his return to flanders he was so short of money that he had to pawn the crown jewels to the bardi the great florentine merchants at bruges the allies were slow in bringing their forces into the field von artevelde refused to give edward any active help because of the oaths of fealty by which the flemings were bound to philip of valois at last edward succeeded in collecting an army of fifteen thousand men and met the french near cambrai the two armies parted without a battle and edward returned to Hainault. this fruitless campaign had exhausted his resources without gaining any result he grew more anxious than ever for the help of flanders and made new proposals to the towns with magnificent offers artevelde at last consented to help him if he would assume the title of king of france then the fealty which the towns owed to their suzerain could be transferred from philip of valois to edward this then was the real cause of edward's assuming the arms and title of the king of france he did it only that he might win the active help of the flemings as their suzerain he confirmed all the privileges of the towns and granted them three great charters of liberties these charters bear the impress of artevelde's mind and are an expression of his commercial views they proclaim liberty of commerce the abolition of tallage that is of taxes upon merchandise and a common currency they guarantee also the security of merchandise as well as that of the persons of the merchants 
the wool staple was fixed at bruges that is bruges was to be the place where alone wool might be imported and sold to the flemish merchants edward returned to england to obtain the confirmation of these treaties by parliament as artevelde would not be content unless the commons of england gave their consent to them during his absence queen philippa remained at ghent and there gave birth to her third son john who from the city of his birth was ever afterwards called john of gaunt queen philippa also acted as godmother to artevelde's son who was called philip after her and afterwards became famous like his father for defending the liberties of his country though he did not show his father's wisdom and moderation edward the third obtained from the parliament at westminster the confirmation of his treaty with the flemish towns and also a new grant of supplies this grant was for the most part in kind the king was to have the ninth lamb the ninth fleece and the ninth sheaf that is in reality a tenth part of the chief produce of the kingdom for the tithe had first to be paid to the church and so the ninth part of the remainder equalled the tithe he was also allowed to levy a tax on the exportation of wool for two years it shows the great popularity of the war that so large a grant was agreed upon we also see the increasing power of parliament from the fact that edward the third did not venture to impose any tax without its consent but in spite of all these grants edward was still considerably in debt he owed nine thousand pounds to the merchants of bruges and eighteen thousand one hundred pounds to the association of german merchants in london called the hanseatic steel-yard which had existed certainly since the time of henry the third and had always been specially favoured by the english monarchs but the merchants were always willing to lend him money in return for the facilities which he gave to commerce he was still obliged to pawn the crown jewels his own crown was pawned to the city of trier and queen philippus to Köln. orders had to be given for the alteration of the royal seal the lilies of france had to be incorporated with the leopard of england meanwhile the french had gathered a large fleet composed principally of genoese ships and were threatening the flemish coast there was danger of their cutting off intercourse between antwerp and england it was necessary for edward to set off without delay he hastily collected a fleet of some two hundred sail and started from orowell a port in suffolk on the twenty second of june thirteen forty when the english fleet neared slouch they saw standing before them as foissart tells us so many masts that they looked like a wood this was the french fleet waiting to dispute the passage of the english when edward heard who they were he exclaimed i have for a long time wished to meet with them and now please god and st george we will fight with them for in truth they have done me so much mischief that i will be revenged on them if possible the english fleet was arranged in order of battle the strongest ships were put in the middle between every two ships manned with archers was a ship of armed knights the wings were mostly composed of archers great care was taken for the safety of a large number of noble ladies who were going to attend the queen at ghent picked men being chosen to guard them the french force was greatly superior to the english as they possessed nineteen ships of very large size most of which had been captured from the english the year before when the french had attacked the english ports 
the french formed themselves into four long lines their ships were firmly fastened together with chains and ropes the french admiral considering his position impregnable determined to remain on the defensive and refused to listen to the advice of the genoese commander barbavara and advanced to the attack the french were soon enveloped in a shower of english arrows grappling irons fastened the english ships to the french and the fight became fierce the great english ship the christopher was recaptured from the french and the english flag again hoisted upon her the french were hemmed in on all sides in their rear they were threatened by the inhabitants of the coast so that escape seemed impossible only at nightfall did the genoese and some few french ships succeed in getting away in the darkness the loss of the french was enormous whilst the english suffered comparatively little and captured a vast amount of booty and a large number of prisoners great were the rejoicings for this victory the news of it passed rapidly from mouth to mouth the french pirates were destroyed and once more the merchant could carry his goods across the seas without danger in all the english churches thanksgivings were offered for the victory by royal command edward the third had himself been slightly wounded in the battle but still his first act on landing was to go with his knights on a pilgrimage to our lady of arenburg to give thanks he then proceeded to ghent where he found his queen with her newborn baby edward the third hoped to be able to follow up this naval victory by striking a decisive blow on land the deputies of the flemish towns and his other allies met him at ghent and the flemings agreed to aid him if he would help them to get back artois which had formerly belonged to flanders but had been treacherously taken from them by philip the fourth king of france in five days the towns had levied one hundred and forty thousand foot soldiers who all agreed to fight without pay in this war thus reinforced edward marched to tournay which he completely invested philip advanced from arras to relieve the town discontent had already broken out in the confederate army the flemings were not professional soldiers but were the burghers and handy craftsmen of the towns who had turned out to defend their own hearths and homes marching under the banners of their different guilds they were soon eager to get back to their shops and their looms philip's sister jeanne of valois a nun at fontenelle hard by appeared between the two armies as peacemaker and a truce was agreed upon jacques van artevelde succeeded in obtaining most advantageous terms for the flemings with the habitual selfishness of a commercial and industrial people having brought matters to a satisfactory conclusion for themselves they thought no more of edward's interests he too had to agree to a truce for nine months and to retire a second time without striking a decisive blow he had expended vast sums of money in these two campaigns and had gained nothing he had only learnt one lesson and that a very important one that it was no use depending upon allies and that henceforth he must trust to himself alone the truce between france and england had been concluded at first for only nine months till twenty fifth september thirteen forty one but it was afterwards prolonged till thirteen forty two edward soon found a new opening for attacking france in the contest that was going on about the succession of the duchy of brittany edward the third determined to give his aid to de montfort whilst the other claimant charles of blois 
was supported by his uncle Philip. Here also, after a while, a truce was agreed upon, which was to last till Michaelmas 1346. A truce had also been made with Scotland, and David Bruce had returned to his kingdom. Thus there was an interval of comparative peace, but each side was only waiting for an auspicious moment to begin the war again, and the French did not cease their aggressions upon Guienne. In spite of the large sums it cost, the English people were by no means weary of the war. The Parliament that sat in 1344 began by giving its opinion in favour of peace, if fair terms could be procured, but proceeded to grant the King supplies to enable him to continue the war. They begged him to finish it in a short time, either by battle or treaty. The nobles agreed to cross the sea and fight with him, and the clergy granted him the tenth of their benefices for three years. The king's cousin, the Earl of Derby, a brave and accomplished knight, was sent with an army into Guienne to recover the country which had been won by the French. We must try to understand clearly what were at this time the possessions of the English in France. Under Henry II, the territory which the English king ruled over in France was greater in extent than England itself. Part of this, such as Normandy and men, belonged to the English kings by virtue of their descent from William the Conqueror. Anjou and Touraine had come to Henry II through his father, Geoffrey of Anjou. The great duchy of Aquitaine, consisting of seven provinces, he obtained as the marriage portion of his wife, Eleanor of Guienne. Thus he ruled over the western part of France, from the Channel to the Pyrenees, and held the mouths of the great rivers Seine, Loire, and Garonne. These vast dominions really made the Angevin kings, so called from their descent from Geoffrey of Anjou, foreign rather than English rulers. It was not therefore altogether to the disadvantage of England when Normandy and the other possessions in northern France were taken from the feeble John by the king of France. The Duchy of Aquitaine still remained in the possession of the English. Once it was wrested from them, in 1294, by Philip IV, King of France, but he soon had to restore it. It is easy to imagine how anxious the French kings must have been to gain possession of this great duchy. A succession of able, unscrupulous kings had been trying by every means to extend and consolidate their dominions. The kings of France had not at first been as powerful as many of their great barons, who ruled as hereditary and independent princes in their separate provinces, paying the king only a nominal homage. To reduce these barons to submission was the task laid upon the French kings for many generations. Little by little they got hold of the lands of their vassals and neighbours. Rivalry between France and England began from the first moment that the Dukes of Normandy became kings of England. It was increased when the Duchy of Aquitaine was added to the English dominions. Philip Augustus had won Normandy from John. It remained for his successors to win Aquitaine. The Duchy of Aquitaine included Poitou, Limousin, Guienne, and Gascony. It extended toward the north almost as far as the mouth of the Loire and toward the south to the foot of the Pyrenees. It embraced the fertile bed of the Garonne, at the mouth of which lay the great city of Bordeaux, whence the wine grown in the duchy was imported into England. Bayonne was another important port lying to the south of Bordeaux. 
it was here that the earl of derby landed when he was sent by edward the third to recover the places which philip had succeeded in winning in guienne his campaign was marked with brilliant success and he soon won back all that had been lost edward the third meanwhile determined to make another journey to flanders to strengthen his alliance with the flemings this time he took with him his son prince edward who had now completed his education and was to begin at what seems to us the early age of fifteen to take part in the active business of life van artevelde met his royal guests at escluze and the deputies of the towns also came to discuss the state of affairs foissart tells us that there was a proposal made by artevelde to set aside louis count of flanders and make the prince of wales count in his stead but this statement is not supported by other evidence and does not seem to be in accordance with the views of artevelde who never showed any desire to put aside the rightful count having assured himself of the friendship of flanders edward returned to england with his son only a few days after his departure his faithful friend van artevelde was murdered at ghent in a disturbance caused by a furious faction of the populace this murder was the act of a small party not of the country the government and administration of affairs remained as before throughout flanders the towns sent deputies to england to express to edward the third their freedom from complicity in this murder and their desire to maintain the english alliance the close commercial relations between the two countries which had been established by the wisdom of van artevelde went on as before and the english wool was still carried to the staple at bruges to be sold End of section two.